Hi, I'm Charlotte. And I'm Lauren. Our pronouns are she, her. And this is Demythifying. The podcast where two best friends talk mythology. Go off on tangents. And hope to bring a little bit more forgotten magic to the world. Helen of Troy. How can I even begin to explain Helen of Troy? Helen of Troy was a Spartan queen. I heard she hatched from an egg with her two famous brothers. I heard that her dad was a swan, so I started telling people that my dad was a swan. I heard she does Argos commercials in Athens. She's beautiful, ingenious and charming. One time she met Theseus and he told her she was pretty. One time, the Greeks and Trojans went to war over her. It was awesome. Hello, Lauren. Can you believe it's been a whole year since we did an episode for International Women's Day? This year's blown by. For this year, we've decided to talk about a woman who, if rumours are to be believed, is the cause of all that is bad in the world. Well. If you're going to be blamed for things, you might as well be blamed for all things, right? So we're going to kick off with some facts. And I'm going to say this in air quotes, which I love to say things in air quotes, because there is no actual proof that Helen existed. Although we do think that Troy existed and there was quite possibly a war there. because there is archaeological evidence but we don't know that Helen herself existed we do know of princesses and women who have been found dating from around that time but Helen specifically we have no definitive proof and air quote facts here she was a Spartan princess who was born from a liaison between her mother and Zeus wed to Menelaus and ended up with Paris the prince of Troy now I don't want to delve too deeply here into this because before we get into it properly, we had we have loads to discuss and we have to split it up into various episodes. We do know that she had children, but the most we know about is one child, Hermione. And Helen was said to be such a beauty, which is an understatement as she is attributed to causing the Trojan War. For people who are listening to this who don't know much about the real origins of the Trojan War, we're going to give you the real bullet point version because this is something we want to explore later and we have so much to talk about. So bullet point version. Zeus decided again that there were too many people in the world that he's created. Now remember, we've already discussed in previous episodes that he has brought a big flood to call the population to almost zero, zero already in the past. But... What's more entertaining than war? So Zeus has engineered for what became known as the Apple of Discord to be contested over by three goddesses, Hera, Athena, and Aphrodite. Now, unwilling, or because it's not part of his master plan, to decide between them, the job was then put on a random shepherd. This is a recurring theme in our episodes, but when people want to get rid of their babies because prophecy... They leave them to be exposed or entrust them to people to expose them on their behalf. And like in most stories, a nice, lovely shepherd comes and saves the baby 
and then a day of reckoning happenings in the future. So this random shepherd that has to decide between the goddesses just happened to be the exposed Prince Troy, who was prophesied to bring badness. There is a painting by Peter Paul Rubens, which is The Judgment of Paris, and it is in the National Gallery in London, and it's absolutely stunning. So you have the goddesses standing around, and you've got Paris, and they're obviously talking to him. They're out in the open. There are some trees around, and it's just a really gorgeous scene. I took my dad to the National Gallery and was looking around for this painting for ages because I wanted to see it so bad. Now, all of the goddesses are obviously stunningly beautiful and they all offered him different things as an incentive for him to choose them. So Paris, like most men, thinking with his penis, he chose Aphrodite and she promised him the most beautiful woman in the world, Helen of Sparta. And Helen just happened to be married to another man. And there was an agreement among all of the men who had contested to marry her that regardless of whether they married her or not, they would now have to defend the marriage. Needless to say that Aphrodite didn't mention this to Paris. And so when he and Helen went back to Troy, they were followed by a pretty hefty Greek fleet to win her back. And this is where the Trojan War then takes place. And there are three theories about Helen. There's a theory that she went willingly, a theory that she was kidnapped. And in some sources, there's actually a theory that she didn't go at all. And there is a story about her where she was actually in Egypt the whole time. And it was kind of a, I don't know, mirage or like air cloud that was shaped to look like her. And that ended up being taken to Troy instead. I found this quote last night when I was looking up for this episode in Euripides' Helen, where she's talking to Menelaus. So the quote is, from Paris, to whom that goddess pledged me, and so she brought me hither to Egypt to my sorrow. Menelaus then replies with a question. Then she gave him a phantom in thy stead, as thou tellest me. Now, I hadn't actually heard of the Egypt aspect until we started researching this. I'd heard that there was a potential that she might not have been there at all, but not specifically that she could have been in Egypt. And I do wonder what the significance of Egypt is. Why it was Egypt specifically, I'm not sure. There's probably something out there, but I didn't research that specific aspect. But maybe I could, I don't know if anyone's done any theories on it. What I do know is that, so Euripides has written various plays about Helen. So just sort of for context for people who don't know. But this was written... This particular play was written quite soon after a thing called the Sicilian, Expe- Sicilian Expedition. And Athens had suffered a massive, massive defeat. And kind of the idea that this Helen, that the Trojans and the Greeks were fighting over, she wasn't even there. It just goes to show how pointless and futile war was. And that's what Euripides wanted to do. He wanted to condemn war because he felt that it was the root of all evil. The Egyptian king as well was chased. So I don't know if that has something to do with it, that in various other plays or kind of media, this particular king remains chased. And therefore Helen was able to keep her loyalty to 
men allows because this was a man who wanted to protect her and he had no interest in actually sleeping with her. In one of the plays, Trojan Women, now there's two versions. I read the Seneca version, but I think it's pretty similar to the Euripides from what I've read. That it's not, it's kind of an anti-war play and it's considered, the introduction says it's one of the greatest anti-war plays ever written. Not necessarily because it's written by a pacifist, but it's just about kind of stupidity and about pride and cruelty of war. So potentially by saying, well, actually, she wasn't even there. The playwright is saying, you've gone to war for no reason, essentially. I think it's interesting that it was written after defeats. But I think the timing of it is is really interesting. Mm. We want to talk more about the Trojan women in the next episode that we're going to do because there are some really, really interesting things in the play that we just don't have time to go into in this episode. But we will be delving into the Trojan women in our next episode. I kind of felt like the whole idea of the three Helens, there's a parallel with three ideas around her birth. So there's the idea that her mum Leda was raped by Zeus like the idea that Helen was kidnapped by Paris, the idea that Leda slept with Zeus willingly. I mean, if you've seen some of the artwork, she looks very willing. And then obviously the idea that Helen went with Paris willingly. But then there's this idea that her, that Leda wasn't actually her mum at all. So I just think this idea of threes is, is quite interesting. But in this last idea, it's that her mom was actually the goddess nemesis, but then she was given to Leda to be raised. And yeah, I just find the parallels really interesting because in both there's an idea of consent, no consent, and then not even involved. I think that is very interesting. And obviously there's Holy Trinity, there's bad things coming threes, but there's obviously significant in the number three there's significance Mm. and possibly in literary form I mean I don't know enough about writing but I would presume that in literature there's a lot of threes that come up in general possibly we'll just have to speculate on that talking about her birth one of the biggest stories is that the idea that Leda Helen's mother was visited by Zeus in swan form who apparently was being chased by an eagle. Now, Leda and the Swan has been inspiration for painters for absolutely years. And Lauren and I have been in competition with each other who, to see, who can send the most disturbing picture to the other one. And <laughs> Lauren is winning because she finds the, the uh, most interesting one, shall we say. But it's for this pre- episode, it's pretty grim. It's as both of them are grim that you sent me. I'm not saying that the one I sent you was much better but for this episode we'll discuss one that won't cause nightmares so the Euphysi holds a painting and I've seen that this is attributed to a couple of people so this the site I got this from said it was Francesco Melzi after a lost painting by Leonardo da Vinci but apparently it's 
potentially by someone else who I didn't write the name down. It's like, um, I can't find it now. Césaire de Sesto. So, you think I can pronounce that? Well, I can't pronounce it, but I'm going for it. Hey, hey. Um, so I think they did copies. I mean, a lot of the time painters copied and were inspired by each other. So it, it doesn't surprise me that there could be two potential artists for this scene. But this scene is beautiful. It's It's got her children at her feet hatching from eggs. She's holding the swan almost affectionately. And she's also holding some sort of flowers. Now, obviously, eggs are often a symbol of fertility. And she's standing in quite lush, green garden space with trees and there's grass. And it's, yeah, she's got a little affectionate cuddle going on with the swanny Zeus there. I was listening to a YouTube video with... Diane Rea, who has translated Sappho, which we're looking forward to having on the podcast soon. But she was talking about how green was a symbol for fertility back in ancient Greece. Obviously, we see green as quite a jealous colour, but because of sort of grass and vegetation and that kind of thing, green was seen as a very fertile colour. So I don't know if that's why there's so much greenage in the picture, but that along with the eggs makes sense. I would say that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, a lot of them, a lot of people around this time would have used the land and you can only really use the land if it's green and lush and fertile. I quite like the sort of image of of Lida with, with the swan. But I also find the nemesis idea really, really interesting and kind of mostly because I think it shows so much potential for planning from Zeus. Sure, we know that Zeus literally likes to bang almost everything, but we know that Zeus is planning some kind of reckoning for humanity where he wants to call things. And nemesis is a goddess who provides retribution so certainly now we can see so much foreshadowing in the potential of her being Helen's mum. So surely no good can come from the child of a retribution goddess. So possibly was sleeping with Nemesis just part of Zeus's grand plan for a war to cull humanity. I mean, that's playing a long game, isn't it? And I don't really understand why she can't grow up with Nemesis in this story, why she is given to Lita to to look after. I don't know. But I can believe Zeus is playing the long game. I guess it's not that long if you're immortal. And also, so the baby Paris, I think he's, I really want to say his name was Alexander. Maybe he became Alexander. Well, anyway, whatever. He was exposed because there was a prophecy that he was going to bring badness, right? So that's already some kind of long game because I don't know how old he was at the point when the judgment happened. But if the war, say he's, I don't know, say he's 18 for argument's sake, right? Then he has to go and get Helen. That could take a bit of time. There's a good chance that it actually took in some media 10 years for him to actually get back, for them to get back to Troy. 
then the Trojan War is 10 years. That's already playing kind of a long game, like a longer, long game than him impregnating Nemesis, the baby having been been born and then Helen becoming, I don't know, maybe 18, 20 when she married Paris. I don't know. We don't have an exact timeline, but that's certainly a little bit of long game. Well, she is married at 15 in the Trojan Women. The quote says, I was married at 15. So that's when Menelaus. And then she obviously has, we know of Hermione. I'm not sure. She has other children with Menelaus, but I'm not sure if she has them before or after. So she's definitely with him long enough to have one child. And then Paris comes. But we, how long between the Apple of Discord and the reward how long does it take Paris to get back or get to Helen from that moment is it is it instantaneous is there a period of time in between it's got to take at least a year because he ends up reuniting with his family and then going over there so that's that's going to take time because he's not he's not a shepherd when he goes to Menelaus no when when he meets like they meet as almost equals he's a prince he's royalty Hmm. I found some other kind of parallels that I found really really interesting so just carrying on down the thread of Nemesis being her mom and Helen having been conceived for a purpose if we just make that argument for a second so I actually kind of want to compare Helen to Pandora because both of these women, like the creation of, of these women would have been engineered by Zeus to have brought badness to man. And both Helen and Pandora are judged by people for fulfilling their purpose. And that just seems a bit, a bit unfair, quite honestly. If you're created to do something and you do the thing, but there's also this idea of Eve as well. And we discussed the Eve-Pandora comparison way, way back in like demythifying episode three. And it's this idea as well that all three women gave into temptation in a different way. So with Helen, there's potential sexual temptation because Paris is young, presumably quite attractive, presumably quite charming. And is there maybe this temptation of freedom from Menelaus with Pandora we judge her for the temptation of curiosity but maybe Helen's curious too of something and someone different and they've also had this temptation of curiosity by by eating the apple in in the Garden of Eden and I've seen a lot I've seen stuff online I've not been able to find proper like fleshed out theories but the idea that there could be the temptational there, there could be the concept of sexual temptation with her and I was wondering also with Eve is there actually with all of these women is there rebellion against lack of freedom Helen is married to a man she's maybe not happy with and he can do what he wants and she has to be the good dutiful wife Pandora is has the lack of freedom for opening this jar and then Eve is given very strict rules you cannot do this and then she does it I don't know I just thought it was interesting I think 
you say that they're judged for things that they are made for and that's yes. a bit unfair and I I do agree but is it because people judge others by their own standards people naturally judge because well I wouldn't have opened the jar I was like well it's not it's not you is it <laughs> and I think there is an element of of that but also because of what happens in the end you know Pandora opens this jar we'll take Pandora as as the example Pandora opens this jar and all of the world's ills come out and now I I am being I am suffering because you couldn't do what you were told and there is that like now my husband has gone to fight because you couldn't stay with your husband do you think that the average woman who lost her husband in this Trojan war because we know we know wars happened at this time we're we're using the Trojan war because that's the the text that we have but obviously there's no proof that this war specifically happened but we know that wars did happen at this time and we know that there are very very many reasons why wars happened but do you think that the average woman sitting at home right or not even sitting at home working very hard at home raising a family lost their husband supposedly because of this woman who couldn't stay with hers well are we blaming Helen because she's older right, so she was kidnapped by Theseus possibly as young as what, seven in some sources there is one source that says she's seven another says she's eight she's generally 12 and I've got a point about why that that is further down but are we blaming her because now she's older so even if she was kidnapped say she's still an adult woman the same way that it's easier to blame older women for bad things that happen to them as opposed to a woman that was younger so regardless of whether she wanted to go or not is that possibly what we're doing here potentially because when they're younger when people are younger and stuff happens you think well the person who's older should be the one to protect you know if she's Theseus is older and he violates her he should be protecting her because he's the older one but it's like Paris knew she was married and could have possibly kidnapped her but Pot- well, potentially kidnapped her but then we don't know we don't well, first of all we don't we don't know I think also there's an element of she's a rich woman at a time when that would have meant a lot and I think it's easy for people to gossip about and when I say fantasize about I don't mean in a sexual way I mean you know look at celebrities now it's very easy to be like well they don't they are not like the average person and we put these people on pedestals and we expect them to act in a different way and when they act like us it's almost a letdown so with Helen running away say she ran away with him it's oh but she's meant to be better than us because we're told she's better than us all our stories say that okay we'll say she didn't run away 
And we're blaming her for the fact that Paris kidnapped her. Why are we not looking to put some kind of blame on Menelaus for not being there to protect his wife? Or Paris for taking a woman, you know? Maybe maybe not Menelaus. Like, maybe he didn't have to protect her. Maybe he presumed that this guest in his house wouldn't kidnap his wife. I also think as well, there's something in being caught up in the moment and making a decision and making a decision with a clear head. So say that Paris is calm and Helen is overcome with lust and decides, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go off with him. He knew she was married and set and set to do it anyway. So the fact that she was married and he was doing it with a clear head was irrelevant in the same way. Eve was tricked in the moment into eating the apple. But I think Adam probably knew when he ate the apple what he was doing. So I do think you almost can judge someone a little bit differently, not massively differently, a little bit differently, being caught up in the moment against making a decision with a clear head. So like Paris was caught up in the moment when he picked Aphrodite, right? It's like, oh yeah, I really, really want to marry this beautiful woman. But he actively pursued Helen with a clear head, I'm sure. But also, say say it was a really, really short space of time between Aphrodite promising him Helen and him meeting Helen and kidnapping her or either kidnapping her or convincing her to run away with him, right? Say that's a really short space of time and, and they're caught up in the moment. It still takes 10 years for the war to happen. At no point do they pass her over. To, at no point do they say, do you know what, Helen? If you want to go, you can. And let's end this war. All he wants is for you to come back. Why don't you go back to him? At no point does that happen. But I think it stops being about her going back to him and becomes more of a pride thing. Of course, 100% it does. But that's the clear head. The clear head is in, in the time it's taken for her to get to Troy and then all of that war because also you know they couldn't set sail for a while because they had no wind so this war didn't start instantaneously that is true and are we maybe looking to blame women who aren't satisfied with being subordinate to men and we have eve who potentially that's why she ate the apple helen potentially that's why she ran off with theseus but i was also thinking about in some versions of the story where Adam had a first wife, Lilith, as well. So Lilith is said to have been made from the soil, the same soil that Adam was made with. And then Eve was made from his rib, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I I know she's made from his rib, but um, if I'm not mistaken, Lilith was made from the same soil as him. That's, yes. So in in her mind, they were the same. Well, yeah, they're made from the exact same point. They're made from the same material. They're made, I believe, at the same time. But what I do find interesting about all of these is, and maybe someone will correct me, but like, you know, we've got reports of Helen's beauty, for example, but what do we really know about all of their personalities with all of these women? We do know that Lilith was independent, because you know she left her husband she didn't want to to give up her equality 
but the same word doesn't get attributed to Helen when she leaves her husband. And I just, I found it really interesting. Is that because the intent for her leaving, no one can really decide upon, no one can decide if she was taken or she left willingly. And the imagery we have of Helen is all that men wanted her to be over the years. You know, we've got something that we find, that is something we find with Lilith, that's something we find with Eve, something we find maybe a little less with Pandora because we know that she was, in all versions, she was created to bring about the ill of men. But all four symbolise different examples of womanhood depending on who is doing the talking. And all four, we don't tend to know about their personalities. We know Pandora was supposed to be beautiful and charming and have, I think she was like, it's a lot of kind of aesthetic and trivial beauties, I think, Mm. from what we know about her. Uh, Could maybe this villainization of Helen be because she's leaving her husband, if she went willingly, for another man? Lilith is leaving for her own independence while Helen is leaving for kind of lustful reasons. Maybe. Yeah, potentially, because he's meant to be a younger man. He's charming. He's pretty. But is he more of her equal? Is he more of her equal? Whereas Menelaus is always the older man. The, you know, him and Agamemnon had been to war previously. I don't know. Just something I thought of now. I was listening to something recently and it talked about broken people kind of liking each other. And no, Helen seems to seems to like men with trauma because Menelaus doesn't necessarily have the best life with what's happened to him and kind of the trauma of his house. Then mm. you've got Paris who's been exposed. And obviously she had trauma by being kidnapped by Theseus. So I don't know, is she just drawn to other broken people? Potentially. But was she really drawn to right now? Was she really drawn to Menelaus or was that orchestrated? In some stories, she picked him herself. In some, I think her dad picked him. But even with her. Thinking of, of Clytemnestra by Costanza Castati that we just listened to, uh, that we just read, I think even if she does pick him herself, it doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't orchestrated. No, that, that in, is true. That was inferred. That's what I got from, from the book, anyway. Mm, no, that is true. One thing, though, I don't think people seem to judge much, judge Helen much for the fact that she kind of left her child. And people who judge Helen don't seem to care much about poor Hermione. Because you know that there's a point where Helen misses, we know that Helen misses Hermione, but people are, it's like, oh, you've left your husband and you've caused a war, not you left a child. Literally poor Hermione. Is that, now this is completely thinking off the top of my head. Is that because, because women... Because girl. No, I was going to say, well, yeah, that too. But is it because women tended to die really young? So a lot of pe- a lot of children probably grew up without mothers. That's not something that occurred to me actually. I'm only thinking about it now, and I could be completely wrong. But if you know, generally, women 
were mothers a lot lot younger than they are today and it's childbirth is very dangerous even now it's very dangerous we just have a lot in place to to prevent fatalities could a lot of you know a lot of children have and a lot of children died as well I guess so could I don't know how to verbalize what I'm thinking but maybe because a lot of children maybe grew up without mothers that Hermione growing up without hers isn't necessarily seen as anything out of the ordinary but then surely it must be because of her mother is choosing to leave in some versions she's choosing to leave well also if you're a child you don't necessarily know that she's been taken so you no that's true so I was listening to a podcast the other day that said children are narcissists and if your parents are arguing you presume you're the reason so if regardless of whether Helen chose to leave or not Hermione would probably think she was the reason or that Helen chose to leave and also how much do you tell a child do you tell a child well actually your mother's been raped and taken kidnapped Menelaus doesn't strike me as someone who would have good communication with his child. No. Or his wife. Or his wife. Or probably anyone. Next episode, I really want to talk about Hecuba and kind of her attitudes towards Helen and the difference in sort of judgment between, or judgment towards Paris compared to Helen. And this is where we're going to delve into the Trojan women, as I mentioned earlier. So I've not forgot, we have not forgotten about the Trojan women. No. And to bring it back to our comparison of the four, we have obviously Helen, Eve, Pandora and Lilith. All four are examples of personal morality. So obviously Eve gives in to temptation and eats the apple. Helen supposedly runs away with another man who is a foreign royalty Lilith, who leaves her husband as she does not want to give up her equality, is a demonic figure who visits women during childbirth in order to strangle newborns. And then we have Pandora, who in most versions of the story can't contain her curiosity enough to keep the ills of the world in a jar. And I just, I find it really interesting that all of these women, like we've said before, it's the women who are being judged you know, it's not Paris being judged for kidnapping Helen, it's Helen being judged for running away with Paris. I find it really interesting that we don't judge Adam for eating the apple, we judge Eve. We don't judge Adam for not letting Lilith be equal, we judge Lilith for leaving. There's a version of Pandora where she's not even the one who opens the jar, it's a man. And yet that story never gets told. And I just, I found that really fascinating. That is fascinating. And if this is, isn't something that we tend to think about. We've obviously used multiple sources to research this episode. But one that we've both devoured is Bethany Hughes' book, Helen of Troy. She makes the point that Helen moves from rape victim to child bride to cheating lover, to trophy mistress, to dutiful wife. 
And again, this is all decided upon by those who are telling her story. And that is something that is woven throughout all of the other women's stories, the Eve, the Pandoras, the Liliths. It's woven throughout their stories as well. As we said in the previous section, there are many aspects to Helen's story and that is why this is going to be more than one part of an episode. One of the first things that happens to her, and we say happens to her deliberately, is that Theseus rapes her. The story goes that Theseus and Perithous, being of immortal descent, decided, of course, that they should have divine wives. Pirithous chooses Persephone and Theseus chose Helen. So the two kidnap Helen. And Helen's age changes depending on the source. There are many reasons for this. Potentially, do you think it's because of societal norms at the time of each source? Well, as much as we think that it's really grim now, kind of Bronze Age women would have been mothers at 12 and dead by 30 on average. In one story I'm familiar with, Helen is actually left with Theseus's mother until she's old enough to be his wife. And I, the impression I got was that he didn't rape her in that story. But I don't actually know how, how sanitized that version is. And that's especially in a world where there is so much gratuitous rape and violence towards women and I don't trust Theseus. Apollodorus, or Pseudo-Apollodorus, states that Helen was 12. Diodorus of Sicily says she was 10. John Trussell says she was eight. And the youngest source says she's seven, and that's Hellenicus. And it doesn't feel like it's a coincidence that these ages have been picked to describe her in this story. And this is a girl on the cusp of womanhood just before she can get married off. And it's said that Theseus violated her on the riverbank of Eurotus. And this would have been offensive on multiple levels. She's potentially an underage royal. And he's coming to another territory to defile her. And the only thing that people could kind of look at it as being slightly less bad is that Theseus was a king. So she wasn't defiled by just anybody. So she didn't lose any sort of standing based on who she was defiled by. No, obviously these aren't our opinions. We don't think that that makes it slightly less bad because it is bad. But this could be the argument of people describing her in this story. Yeah, and by making her that age, it's kind of a, or is she underage or is she, is she of marriageable age? And again, it depends on the society at the time of the story being told. Obviously, I think 12 is far, 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 far too young. But at the time, we're talking about women who would have been mothers by 12, grandmothers in their 20s, and then dead at 30 if they survived uh, childbirth. Theseus takes Helen and he places her in the care of his mother. Well, he and Pirithous travelled to the underworld to claim Persephone because you've already claimed one woman. Why wouldn't you claim a second? 
imagine that. Here, mum, look after this child I kidnapped, would you, while I help my friend kidnap someone else? It's not a good look on either of them. <laughs> I get the impression his mum wasn't going to have much of an opinion because she is a woman. Yeah. And this, this is a king. But still, it's it's just not a good look for either of them. It's not great, is it? Helen's brothers, Castor and Pollux, eventually rescue her by invading Athens and capturing Theseus's mother in revenge. They then take Helen back to Sparta. There is so much more we have to say about Helen that for this International Women's Day, we're splitting the story up over multiple episodes. Yeah, we haven't even begun to get into what happens to her on her on during Troy, her return to Sparta, her marriages, her depiction in literature and arts. We definitely had a vision for this episode and then we just kept finding more and more things we could say about her. And we haven't decided how many parts it's even going to be yet. Like last year's Hera, she's multifaceted and we thought you'd enjoy hearing our musings on what we found. And we have to say such a big thank you to everyone who understood our vision and took part in our Mean Girl skit. So that is in order, Tim Whitmarsh, Laura Shepperson, Rani Selvaraja, B. Fitzgerald, Michaela Alcano, Aldi Harper, Constanza Cassetti and Rosie Talbot and you can look forward to hearing that skit all over again in the next episode because we can't get enough of it so you don't have to thanks for hanging out with us today follow us on Instagram at demythifying the podcast for more of our Olympus based content if you're liking what we're doing please rate us and subscribe also, check out our website at www.dmythpod.co.uk. If you have any stories you'd like us to cover, you can pop us a DM or email us at dmythpod at gmail.com. See you again next time and check us out wherever you get your podcasts. She's been Charlotte. I've been Lauren. And together we've been demythifying.